From the world of politics, I had a stroke. He's never let me forget that. And I might miss some words during this debate, mush two words together, but it knocked me down, but I'm going to keep coming back up. I don't want the federal government involved with that at all. I want women, doctors, local political leaders, letting the democracy that's always allowed our nation to thrive to put the best ideas forward so states can decide for themselves. To the world of business. My sense is that uh, we're headed toward a recession. Until just recently, uh, Congress, you know, appropriated money in billions. When the word trillions didn't exist. This is Balance of Power with David Weston. From Bloomberg World Headquarters in New York to our television and radio audiences worldwide, welcome to Balance of Powers. Fifteen days now until those midterm elections. And last night we had a couple of really important debates, one of them here in New York State for the governor's race. And then, of course, in the all-important Senate race in Pennsylvania, we had that debate as well. And to bring us up to speed on exactly what we learned and maybe didn't learn, we welcome now Washington correspondent Joe Matthews, host of Sound On Weekdays on Bloomberg Radio, normally based in Washington, but we're delighted to have Joe right here with us in New York today. Joe, welcome. Good to have you. Good to see you, David. So what did we learn from that debate between Fetterman and Haas? Well, you know, this is likely the closest Senate race in the country. This is the race that may well decide the balance of power here in the United States Senate. And a lot of people are asking this morning, David, why the Fetterman campaign allowed their candidate to get into uh, this vulnerable situation, knowing, of course, that he had a stroke uh, back in May. And his issue, this issue of health, has been one on the campaign ever since. You heard him mention the elephant in the room that was part of his opening statement. But we had a couple of large screens over the moderators just to give you a sense of what the room looked like, David, so he could use closed captioning. That resulted in some delays in his answers. And he did have trouble articulating his answers in some cases. Listen, as he was asked about his stand on fracking. Uh, I, I, I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. 
It's a particularly sensitive issue in his district, and it's one that people were actually very curious about as he's been on both sides of this issue publicly speaking. Last night, some had trouble understanding exactly what he meant by that. Now, Dr. Oz, of course, he had his own issues, but remember, he's a professional television personality, played well in front of the cameras. He spoke quickly. He had some uh, trouble articulating his views on abortion, for instance, when he said it was uh, the quote was between, uh, between a woman, her doctor, and local political leaders that's not exactly uh, as he might have meant it but the race is too close to call here they're within a point David and this is a fascinating situation more than 630,000 people in Pennsylvania have voted early and can't change their mind based on what they saw last night well and that's the question Joe how much difference does a bit like this make do we think well we have a lot of questions about for instance this debate or the one in Georgia where Herschel Walker uh, obviously had some issues you pulled a badge out for crying out loud <laughs> and we didn't really see much of a change in the numbers following that. Yeah, I'm not sure it was a real badge don't, but... <laughs> don't know about that. he said it was legit but I don't know with him okay thank you so much to Bloomberg Joe Matthew you can catch him at five o'clock this afternoon on Bloomberg radio on sound on and now we're going to talk to one of those who is running in this race right now. She is Rep Representative Haley Stevens, Democrat of Michigan. So, Congresswoman, thank you so much for being with us. As I say, you've got your own race you're running, but give us your perspective from Michigan about what this midterm election is looking like. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of energy right now here in Michigan. Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer just had her second debate last night. You heard from her energy, optimism, and enthusiasm for, for the future. We've got uh, semiconductor investments coming here to this state, supply chains expanding, people investing, our workforce is moving, our kids are back at school. We beat tough times and we're continuing to lead the way, particularly on the zero emissions front, David, with electric vehicle technologies, as well as hydrogen that's coming through here as well. So Congressman, there's no question Congress got a lot done. Democrats got a lot done in Congress, some of which you just referred to, some of the investments, for example, in semiconductors and in infrastructure. At the same time, we do have an issue with inflation in the country. And just yesterday, we were talking to Jared Bernstein from the White House. And when asked about the case for Democrats in this midterm, he said, basically, we have a lot of jobs. Do jobs beat inflation as an issue in Michigan right now? Well, look, we can't underestimate the global ramifications of inflation and what everyday Michiganders, Americans are experiencing at the gas pump, at the grocery store. We obviously got that Inflation Reduction Act done. Some of the initial steps that need to tackle price pressures that, that people are facing. But I want to be very clear. You know, there are those of us who are going to move forward to, to fund the government. And I just think back to a few years ago when I joined Congress in the middle of the longest government shutdown that I in inherited from the previous Congress that was Republican run, longest government shutdown in history, costing our economy $11 billion. That's the question that we need to be asking right now. Are you paying lip service? to some of the economic challenges we are facing or are you offering solutions? And I, Haley Stevens, I'm, my sleeves are rolled up. I meet every single day with our manufacturers, going to visit one today, as a matter of fact, uh, later this afternoon, David, wish I could bring you along with me. They're doing some really interesting things on, on the uh, hydrogen front. But, but I'll tell you this, you're either offering solutions or you're complaining. 
we as a Democratic majority have been offering those solutions. Well, I'd like to be back in my home state with you. I'd love to go see that hydrogen plant. But l let me actually offer up what I think a lot of Republicans are saying in terms of solutions, which is less spending, less taxes, and less regulation, and that is a way to fight inflation. What is your response to that? It's not entirely implausible. Yeah, well, look, we, we had a tax bill that came down in 2017, and it saddled our middle class with lack of solutions and certainly squeezed our teachers and our municipalities as well as sometimes even fire and police. I got into Congress and every community I talked to said that they were looking for public works uh, employees, that they were looking for fire and police because their bottom line had, had been squeezed. And there's a fine balance, you know, as someone who manages the, the taxpayer dollar uh, passing a federal budget, we've got to use those taxpayer dollars effectively for proven outcomes. That's investing in public education, which Governor Gretchen Whitmer has done, which House Democrats did with the rescue bill, getting our kids back to schools. That constantly pays dividends to our Treasury, and we need a plan for the future, investing in high skills, workforce development, making sure that we have school safety so that everyone can, can succeed on, on equal ground. And those are things, David, I would never bet against. And yet, time and time again, from the other side of the aisle, it's, it's not real solutions. It's not proven strategies. It's just political gamesmanship. Congressman, there's another uh, item on the agenda on the, on the ballot this coming uh, midterm election. It's beyond the candidates, and that, of course, in Michigan is specifically abortion. That was something that Governor Whitmer and her opponent addressed in that debate last night. Could you give us your sense about whether the fact that abortion will be on the ballot in Michigan might affect voter turnout? Well, I, I certainly am seeing a lot of energized individuals, men and women alike, people who are participating in events to pass that, what we're calling Prop, Prop 3, that's Proposal 3 on our ballot to codify abortion rights into our state constitution. And speaking of which, David, abortion rights are economic rights. And, and so it, you, you can't be, you know, railing for people's economic future without necessarily saying that women have the right to make their own healthcare decisions. We're still in the middle of an ongoing pandemic, which we are managing. It is not 2020. We're proud of our progress. But, but certainly what we got with the Dobbs decision was another major healthcare disruption. Talk to our providers. Talk to our doctors. Talk to people who are pulling their hair off, thinking that they might be sued or, you know, if Gretchen Whitmer's opponent wins, you know, prosecuted is just a result of providing everyday care. So I'm optimistic about this proposal. I know that people are energized on both sides, but I think common sense is gonna prevail and we're gonna stick with the 50 year tradition that we had with Roe v. Wade, personal, private healthcare decisions between a woman, her family, and her doctor. And finally, Congresswoman, uh, to, back, uh, to go back to inflation for a moment, the White House has by and large said that's up to the Fed. They're independent. The Fed is independent. At the same time, we had one of your fellow Democrats, Sherrod Brown, yesterday, senator from Ohio, write a letter to Jay Powell really questioning the raising of rates to the degree they are to try to fight that inflation. Where are you on that subject? Do you think the Fed is doing the right thing? Well, I certainly respect the autonomy that the Federal Reserve has. And 
recognizing some of the steps that they have taken to ease the inflationary pressures that have come down from global considerations. I have been battling Vladimir Putin since I got into Congress because he detained and now has falsely imprisoned my constituent, Paul Whelan, now alongside Brittany Griner, two Americans who deserve to come home and deserve to be freed. And now we have this war that he has started that is contributing to rising prices and energy considerations. And I would just say this about the, the, the Federal Reserve. I respect the process. Uh, as someone who worked alongside Sharon Brown on the U.S. auto rescue, he he definitely knows how to ask the right questions, particularly from his perch on, on Senate banking. And I do think over time, those might be the right questions to, to ask, uh, we we have a housing consideration, particularly here in the Midwest. We had buildings scaled back. Now we have material shortages. And so people who are looking to get into homes, whether it is to buy that first home or uh, a temporary situation, they are being squeezed. People who are taking out personal loans for various reasons are being squeezed from highest in, higher interest rates. And at some point, we are going to have to ask the Fed, when does it stop? Well, let me ask you, for your constituents, your fellow Michiganders, are they asking questions about interest rates? Are they concerned about it? Is it a political issue yet? Well, certainly a lot of people remember when interest rates were a lot higher. And so a lot of working families, a lot of working adults are not blowing up my office right now. But what they are asking about is, you know, what's the plan for the future? You know, who's got that optimistic vision? And a lot of times, what you're seeing right now in politics with all the, the vitriol, the, the lack of, 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 of discord, or the, excuse me, the perpetuated discord that, that's going on, you know, we, we've got to offer real solutions. And this is why time and time again, I come to the table on bipartisan solutions that Chips and Science Act, that was bipartisan. That's exciting. That's an investment in the Michigan worker. That's an investment in our future, the workforce considerations that come alongside that as well. People are just looking for results. Remember, David, this is a government we pay for. It better work for you. Well said. Thank you so much. We always benefit from having you on. That's Representative Haley Stevens, Democrat of Michigan. Coming up, we're going to talk with pollster Celinda Lake about the uphill battle for Democrats to keep control in the House and the Senate. This is Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and on radio. Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and Radio. I'm David Weston. We'll continue now our coverage of the midterm elections are now 15 days away. And we turn now to a really renowned pollster who's worked with Democrats and Democratic issues for many years now, Celinda Lake. She's president and founder of Lake Research Partners. So thank you so much for being with us. You do know your way around this area terribly well, <laughs> so it's good to have you. But let me put it to you directly. Uh, as you talk to Democrats, it, it is an uphill battle, is it not, for the Democrats to retain control in the House and the Senate? Yes, it's an uphill battle. It was structurally an uphill battle uh, for 36 years. For 36 years, except for 9-11, the party in power loses seats in the first midterm. So we uh, had a structure, major structural disadvantage from the get-go. 
And then gerrymandering cost us a couple of seats in a very close margin. And we always have a turnout disadvantage in the off years. So the fact that we're as competitive as we are in this many races, I think, is a good sign. Uh, tell us about early voting and what the effect it might have, and particularly the effect it might have on some of the debates. We had a couple of big debates last night, but a lot of the votes have already been cast. Yeah, you said a really smart thing in your analysis earlier, which is uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of voters in many of these key states have voted early. And a lot of people got used to voting early uh, during the COVID years and voting by mail. So we have a lot more people voting. The Democrats have been very aggressive about organizing early vote. And one of the key groups that we're really seeing soar in early voting is women over 50, who are the key swing demographic right now. Well, you know that demographic terribly well from your past work, I know. You're something of a specialist in it. Tell us how that plays against the issue of, of uh, inflation. Because we talked to Jared Bernstein yesterday, and Jared Bernstein said, you know, we focus on jobs, not so much inflation. Yeah, so uh, that's a good long-term message for the president. In the immediate concern, uh, voters, particularly this key swing voter, is very, very worried about rising costs. But Democrats have a lot of good things to say and a very good contrast to pose. One, we for, for lowering prescription drug prices and capping the price of insulin. It's ridiculous. Insulin costs $200 in Michigan, where the congresswoman's from. You drive across the river to Windsor and you can get it for $36. That's absurd. Uh, we have a very strong issue in protecting Social Security and Medicare, the number one issue for older women, and not just women who are 65 plus, but women 50 to 64. We have very strong message on health care costs, the number one issue where we have an advantage, and yet people think the costs are going up. So we have strong things to say about rising costs, and we need to get that message out more. Well, that is my question. Based on the polling you've seen at this point, is that message or those messages getting through to voters? They are in some individual cases. Some people are running very aggressive campaigns. You mentioned Fetterman. He's been very aggressive on it. Mark Kelly's run ads on Social Security and prescription drugs. Um, a lot of our candidates have run aggressive messages. But I don't think we've established... It's a tough environment because the price of gas goes up and down and people are confronted with this every minute. It's a tough environment to have that message in, but I think some of our individual candidates are doing a very good job on it. So you mentioned uh, Fetterman. Uh, there was the debate last night, and uh, I don't want to characterize it, but some people have characterized it as indicating he really is still suffering from the effects of that stroke, not his fault. At the same time, it raises questions about his ability to really uh, serve in the Senate. What did you take away from that debate, and will it hurt, do you think, Mr. Fetterman in the polls? I don't think it'll hurt Fetterman in the polls. First of all, I think people are pretty polarized. They have their minds made up. It's not that they're seeing for the first time someone they didn't know. John Fetterman's been out on the campaign trail. I think voters also got a sense of him. He was very able to run, very able to govern. He wasn't cognitively affected. He had some speech issues. Well, lots of people have speech issues. So I don't think it was dispositive. And I think Oz made an amazing mistake when he said that local elected officials should be involved in women's private decisions, in women's abortion decisions. That's ridiculous. The last thing you want is your county commissioner involved in her abortion. And most 
county commissioners don't want to be involved in abor people's abortions either. Uh, so, Ms. Lake, uh, lastly here, what about the money? I mean, there's an awful lot mm -hmm. of money sloshing around in these campaigns thus far. Uh, and as we get in these late stages, less than two weeks now, it's critical where you put the money in for that matter, where you take the money out. Based on the polling you've seen, where would you be advising Democrats to concentrate their money and perhaps even pull out of? Really, really good question. Well, first of all, uh, Democrats have run ahead on the money for most of the election. But we're falling seriously behind right now. So the number one thing I would say to all of our donors, as much as you hate those texts, as much as you've given your last check, you got to write one more. And then I think that broadcast news is, even though the airwaves are just swamped, broadcast news and GOTV operations. So you should buy Persuasion Television to women over 50, and you should get out the Democratic vote with your money. As a practical matter, does that mean you got to have the campaigns doing it? Because they get lowest unit rate, right, for broadcast television. But the but the PACs and the and the uh, uh, pol political parties don't get that advantage. Yeah, that's a really smart point. Exactly right. So the candidates have to do it, but they need the help. Certainly, the Republicans are bringing in their opposition and their IE money in in buckets full. So. We need the help. And then the candidates, the organizations can also concentrate on GOTV because the party, a lot of independent committees can make a big difference on GOTV. When will we know the answer to who controls the Senate and the House? Because I'm not sure it's oh, going to be election night. It's not going to be election night. So uh, we're in for some nail biting. But people have said they want every vote counted and they want it counted carefully. They know a lot is at stake, and they know democracy is at stake. And so the voters are very, very sanguine about take the time that you need, check the vote, count every vote. Let's be careful about what we do here. Yeah, that's good advice for all of us. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. That's Celinda Lake. She's president of Lake Research Partners. Still to come, we're going to hear from investor Sam Zell about it, what he wants to see done and not done in Washington. This is Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and on radio. season is here. The earnings are starting to pour in. The numbers are holding up better than expected. Sorry, business isn't all that bad. Bloomberg breaks the numbers first. Netflix earnings going across the wire. A big beat. The stock is up more than 8%. Coming in stronger than their rivals. With exclusive expert analysis. Finally back to growth. The mother of all opportunities. What is the industry to watch? That's where the rubber hits the road for Goldman Sachs. It's going to be a really interesting earnings season. Bloomberg Television and Radio. The fastest numbers and analysis you trust. Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and Radio. I'm David Weston. We're going to check out in now on the market to see what's going on. Kriti Gupta is here. So it looks mixed results so far and not that much either direction in equities. Mixed results that ultimately come down to the earnings picture. I mean, David, there was such a low bar when it came to the earnings picture for some of these big tech names, and still they managed to miss it. That I think speaks a little bit to the amount of kind of recessionary fears that are basically priced into the market. Yet the stock market is actually higher. Take a look at the S&P 500. 
500, up about five-tenths of 1%. The real pain you are seeing in that tech space, the NASDAQ down about three-tenths of 1%. And the story at the heart of it is earnings, because a lot of the pain that you are starting to see, it's going to be in those heavyweights like Alphabet, like Microsoft. Alphabet, for example, missing their earnings, talking about a, an advertising slowdown, which was largely expected. If you're uh, kind of bearish on the consumer, saying a recession is headed, do you want to spend your advertising dollars to try to capture their attention? But it's not just the consumer, it's the business side as well. Microsoft's Azure business really taking a hit simply because people don't want to really uh, invest in those kind of big business investment kind of moves when once again, you're looking at a recessionary play. So from both investment points of view, uh, they're lacking. And you can see that in Texas Instruments as well. But people are buying bonds. But the 10-year yield is down. Yes. Uh, the bull case for treasuries is back, which is yeah. interesting. And a lot of it at the core is coming back down to will the Fed start to pivot? We know 75 basis points is priced into the market for the November meeting. If you look at some of these economic forecasts, they're starting to look at 50 basis points in December, 25 in February. So the tapering that I think was expected to be in September of this year is now kind of moving to, to the fourth quarter. And that assumption is where you're seeing that bid for the bond market. And how much is housing encouraging that? We had Case Schiller yesterday. We've right. got reports today. It looks like that may be cooling quite a bit. You know, housing data doesn't usually move the market yeah. this much, but it really has in the last two days. Yesterday with Case Schiller data, uh, some unexpected drops in housing prices really taking down the bond market with it. Today, you got new home sales that actually dropped about 11% month over month. And it shows you that some of that kind of slack that was expected to come out of the housing market, well, it's here. And it's not just a slow, gradual decline. It's coming pretty uh, fast and furious. It's something the bond market is certainly responding to. It's going to be time to start anticipating the Fed next week, right? It is. We're in the quiet period at yeah. the moment. If it feels a little quiet, it's probably because we're not hearing from a lot of these yeah. uh, Fed speakers. But the consensus is still the same. 75 basis points uh, in that November 2nd meeting. And we'll see about December. Thank you so much to Kriti Gupta. You can catch more of Kriti at 1 p.m. Eastern time when she'll be anchoring Bloomberg Markets. Coming up, the president of the Heritage Foundation, Kevin Roberts, will tell us what's important to conservatives in the upcoming midterm elections. That's coming up next on Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and on Bloomberg Radio. Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and Radio. I'm David West, and to keep you up to date with news from all around the world, we turn now to Lisa Mateo, who is here with The First Word. Lisa? Thank you, David. Well, for the first time in more than two decades, mortgage rates in the U.S. have gone over 7%. That's according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. Its survey found that the contract rate on a 30-year loan rose almost 7.2% last week. Now, that extends a string of steep increases that have really cooled housing demand. New British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has delayed an economic strategy announcement that was due to be delivered on Monday. It will now be released on November 17th. Well, well, Mr. Speaker, the Chancellor will set out our plans in the autumn statement shortly. But this is the government that put in place plans which will remain to significantly increase 
capital expenditure. And even though difficult decisions do need to be made, I think the country can rest assured that we will continue to invest in our future productivity and indeed invest in our public services like the NHS. The government wants to close a fiscal gap of more than $40 billion. A new report from the United Nations paints a grim picture of global warming. It says Earth is on track to warm by more than two degrees Celsius by the end of the century, despite plans to cut greenhouse emissions. The UN says the good news is that projections show emissions won't increase after 2030. And New York is still the most expensive rental market in the U.S., but Boston has now passed San Francisco for second place on the list. According to rental company Zumper, the medium one-bedroom rent in New York is now $3,860. Yikes. Boston rose almost 6% this month to $3,060, while San Francisco is $40 less. Global news 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Lisa Mateo. This is Bloomberg. David. Thank you so much, Lisa. So we're all interested in who wins kind of in two weeks when they have those midterm elections, and particularly whether the Republicans or the Democrats control the Senate and the House. But there are also real policy consequences of who wins and who has control of those two houses. And to take us through some of those policy issues, we welcome now Kevin Roberts, president of the Heritage Foundation. Kevin, great to have you back with us. Thank you so much. I mean, I think of you as a conservative, a holder of conservative values. So give us the sense from a conservative point of view, what are the values on the on the ballot uh, let's see, two weeks from yesterday? Thanks, David, for having me back. Love your show, and I appreciate the compliment. The Heritage Foundation sees our work as being the, the outpost for the everyday American. And so as a leading conservative organization in this country, not really worried about partisanship, we're looking at the midterms, both the, the results in the House and in the Senate, from the standpoint of what the everyday American is worried about. And it's, it's a set of three things, David. The first is pocketbook issues, whether it's mortgage rates, as you were just discussing, whether it's the price of the pump, whether it's grocery prices. In every aspect of American life, life has gotten more expensive, so much so that one of my economist colleagues at Heritage has estimated that each American is over $4,000 poorer since the start of the Biden administration. But you couple that with some other worries, and it's two in particular that have to do with our security. One is, even if someone lives far away from the southern border with Mexico, clearly the arrival illegally of two and a half million immigrants from the southern border into all of our cities and counties has affected American life, and it's undermined the rule of law. But you see, David, Americans know that because in almost every major city in this country, crime rates have skyrocketed. And not just property crimes, unfortunately, but violent crimes. These are the kinds of things that I think will really cause the election to swing in the direction of the party that's currently out of power. Obviously, that would be the Republicans. From a conservative point of view, we love these issues and we will demand that this conservative majority govern according to what the wishes of the everyday American happen to be. Kevin, you just outlined a lot of this really well. The concern all Americans have about how much they're paying for all sorts 
sorts of different things. Inflation is a very big issue. At the same time, you get inflation either by spending a lot of money from the government or by cutting taxes. Where are you? Where are conservatives on the question of taxes? Because too often I hear from Republicans, well, we want to cut taxes as a way to cut inflation. I'm not aware that that works economically. Well, history shows that when you do both, that is, cut spending and cut taxes, that you probably can increase productivity. I, I understand the point that you're making. What's really important for us to do is to reverse the effects of the, the terribly misnamed Inflation Reduction Act. I think Americans across the political spectrum understand that egregious overspending by the federal government, frankly, that goes back to the last administration. This is both a Republican and a, and a Democrat problem has to stop. We've got to get spending under control and then have very much to your very good point, David, a good conversation about what tax policy looks like. We know at Heritage from the research that, that we have done over the decades that when you have lower spending and you have very responsible, targeted tax cuts, especially for those who are running small businesses, for Americans right now who are struggling to make ends meet, the entire country benefits. We are not, to sum up here and to draw a bright red line, we are not in favor of tax cuts for those big corporations that, frankly, are more important, are more concerned about being multinational corporations than they are being focused on the interests of the everyday American. I'm curious, Kevin, where are you on election security? I mean, you mentioned safety in terms of crime. Also, there's a, there's a border issue. Everybody agrees there's a border issue on immigration. But we hear a lot of Republicans really questioning the legitimacy of the process. Where are true conservatives on that issue? Most conservatives, David, had very deep concerns about election integrity well before the, the questionable 2020 election. And wherever someone lands on who they voted for in 2020 for president and, and what happened as a result, I can tell you from a very sober, objective analysis that we've done at Heritage, this is known as our election integrity scorecard, that every state had problems when it came to election security and election integrity. Thankfully, a lot of those problems have been addressed. So I'm cautiously optimistic mm -hmm. that this particular election cycle will see fewer instances of fraud. But ultimately, this is the United States of America. The reason that we are so optimistic about the American future at Heritage, David, is because we believe every American is going to have his or her vote protected well. That means we've got to put Republican and Democrat off to the side and ensure with just airtight security that our elections are not prone to fraud. Well, let's talk about that fraud specifically, if we could, Kevin. You talked about 2020. The studies I've seen, at least, suggest there may well be issues with some inefficiencies and some confusion. I think that the number of instances I've seen, at least, from really serious studies indicate that fraud, outright fraud, is very, very rare. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. I don't agree that it's rare. I, I know that it happens. I know that in some circles it's probably exaggerated. At Heritage, we have both the burden and the benefit of just calling the balls and strikes. We are a public policy organization first and foremost. And so we know from the exhaustive research we've done, again, going well back before 2020, that a lot of state had, states had laws that created problems. I mean, I know from my many years in Texas that there was fraud, verifiable instances of fraud. People 
inventing names, people yes. using ballots in the names of people who are deceased. So it happens. But this is the point, David. I think the, the, the drawback from a lot of the commentary about election integrity is that it gets caught up in partisanship. Our role at Heritage is to say, as Americans, we have to be better than that. Let's put the partisanship off to the side. And if you're calling the balls and strikes, you can go to our website and see many instances of this ver verifiable fraud. But I want to conclude on an optimistic note on this thread, David, and it is I think we have addressed a lot, not all, a lot mm -hmm. of those concerns. And we're, all, we're more confident than we've been in a while that this election cycle will be better. Not only is that good for the candidates and voters, it's also good for this country, which is ready to see some more cohesiveness across party lines. You no, know, I would say it's critical for the country that we believe the outcome of the elections. Thank you so much, Kevin. I hope you do come back and talk to us about that some more. That's Kevin Roberts. He is president of the Heritage Foundation. Coming up, Sam Zell will give us his views on the economy, the Fed, and what he like to see in the midterm elections. This is Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and on radio. This is Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and Radio. I'm David Weston. Yesterday, I sat down for a far-ranging discussion with Sam Zell, founder and chairman of Equity Group Investments, and we started with his overall views on the economy. My sense is that uh, we're headed toward a recession. Um, you know, the uh, I mean, if you think about the fact that uh, in the last four years, we've added... Uh, what, seven or eight trillion dollars to our debt? Think about the fact that, you know, until just recently, uh, Congress, you know, appropriated money in billions. When the word trillions didn't exist, uh, but people got crazy and, and they, in effect, over-infected the world with way too much liquidity. And, uh, and the Fed was asleep at the switch. And the, the result is that we've got a, a price to pay. Are those days gone, at least for the time being? I mean, it was one thing to borrow all that money when the interest rates were essentially zero or close to zero. They're not zero anymore, and they're probably going up some. Yeah, but the debt didn't go away. I mean, the debt that, that was created at zero is now at three. Yeah. Uh, and probably by the end of the year, it's going to be four and a half. So the idea that, you know, this was some short-term phenomena, I mean, we've created, you know, a, a, in my opinion, a, a, a huge burden uh, that I don't know how the United States is going to deal with going forward. Because when we were paying, uh, you know, under 2% for money, uh, you could borrow a lot of money. Now that you're paying over 4% for the same amount of money, uh, it, that doesn't go away. Is that going to constrain, do you think, Congress and its ability to borrow that money in the future? I mean, take a look at what happened in the UK. Yeah. I mean, when they said we're going to borrow a lot of money, it didn't work out so well. No. Are we going to have some of those constraints on fiscal spending here? I don't see how we can avoid it. In other words, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's, you know, we're, we're dealing with a crisis in the fiat currency world. I mean, ever since Bretton Woods, the whole idea was 
create stability in the currency markets. And to a large extent, we've done that. Um, and then COVID came, and we lost all of our discipline. And the net effect of which is that we've created, you know, staggering new obligations that are going to have to be paid for in the future. Uh, part of it is being paid for with very significant inflation. I mean, you know, nobody really remembers Mr. Volcker. Uh, I am old enough that I was here when interest rates were 21.5%. And Volcker said, we got to do this till we kill it. And now, all of a sudden, for the first time since 1981, we're dealing with double-digit inflation. And it's extraordinarily deleterious. By the way, my first mortgage was, I think, 15 or 16 percent. So sure. I, I'm of that sure. age as well. I remember those days. I mean, we did a conversion, a, a condominium conversion, where the, 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 the buyers were getting loans at 17 and a quarter. Exactly. Uh, so, so is the Fed policy working at getting that inflation under control, in your opinion? I hope so, but I'm not impressed. Uh, if anything, I think the Fed has been, despite the fact that a lot of people think the Fed has been very aggressive, I think the Fed has been not so aggressive. Uh, if it had been my call uh, beyond being asleep at the switch, uh, once they woke up, I would have been increasing debt requirements by one or more. I mean, I mean, one of the things that I think nobody really understood is when, when debt goes from zero to two, not a lot happens. When it goes from two to zero, not a lot happens. And, uh, and, and in effect, so, so the first 200 basis points of increase over zero has relatively little impact on the overall economy. It's when interest rates start to go from four to five, et cetera, that you really see an impact. Uh, so what is the pain level that we're going to experience in order to get inflation under control? The Fed has said there's going to be pain. Yep. What's it going to look like? What's it going to look like in unemployment? What's it going to look like in business failings? What's it going to look like in defaults? Well, it, I think it, it starts with the fact that we've never really had uh, uh, a, a significant recession without a, without a liquidity crisis. And, you know, the Fed's been buying $80 billion worth of debt a month. And now the Fed's going to stop buying $80 billion a month. Uh, maybe not the first month, but in a couple of months, uh, that starts to change the game. And, and it's a liquidity crisis that ultimately uh, forces a, 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 a difference in behavior. Again, go back to the UK, we saw it with the pensions and sure. the derivatives they had for some long-term obligations. Uh, it often comes up where you least expect it, uh, long-term capital management, for example. Yeah. Where would you be looking right now, if you were the Fed, to try to find the crack points in the financial system? Well, I'm, I'm continuing to be worried about uh, just overexpansion. You know, the fact that there's ultimately, you know, uh, unlimited demand for U.S. debt. Uh, I don't believe that. Uh, in the same manner, uh, you know, when I when I look at what's going on out there, um, I'm, I'm very worried about 
uh, the reserve currency and, uh, and the privilege that gives the United States and the flexibility it gives the United States. And if we lose that stature, and we've seen stuff where, you know, Russia and China are trading in, in either rubles or yuan, or Saudi Arabia is talking about selling oil for yuan. Uh, if, if we lose control of the, of the reserve currency status, you're talking about a, a significant hit to our standard of living. I mean, to some extent, 10% inflation is the first step toward deteriorating our standard of living. But it's really the ability to, to issue debt, the ability to, you know, to, to be able to generate demand for our product because we are the reserve currency, it gives us an enormous advantage over the rest of the world. I talked to Ray Dalio recently and asked him about the strength of the dollar. He said, it's not the dollar so good, it's just all the other fiat currencies exactly. are that That's much terrible. worse. That's terrible. That's right. So how, what kind of jeopardy does that put the dollar in if somebody actually figures out a way to do it a little better? Oh, I think that I think the dollar is in, is in great jeopardy. And, uh, and that's what I've been worried about, frankly, more than anything else. And uh, we, need to, we, need to, we need discipline. And, uh, and it starts in, in Washington, D.C., uh, where there has been very little. So let's talk about Washington, D.C., exactly. I and mean, we're in for a rough patch. I think we all agree with that. The question is, how long is the patch and how deep is the problem, right? What policies in Washington could they do or stop doing that might make it better? We have midterm elections coming up. Yeah. Well, I think, I, I, I think that midterm elections are going to end up uh, looking a lot more like what everybody expected initially. In other words, we've had this scenario where, you know, six or eight months ago, everybody talked about a red wave. Uh, and then about four months ago, the newspapers, in their unbiased fashion, uh, all of a sudden started talking about the fact that the red wave wasn't going to happen and that there was going to be the blue wave. And not, none of the facts suggested that the blue wave would happen. The only thing that suggested it was what the newspapers wrote. And, and then the newspapers found themselves in this conflict where the underlying reality said, uh-uh. In other words, the people are very worried about inflation. They're very worried about the economy. Uh, what did Bill Clinton say? It's the economy, stupid. Uh, that hasn't changed. Uh, a lot of people thought that you know Roe versus Wade was going to be the, you know, the, the significant you know crunch point. Uh, people are concerned about abortion. They're concerned about a lot of social issues, but that assumes that they could be concerned with a full belly. And uh, and I think what we're you know what we're you know what we're moving toward is a challenge to that to that reality. That was Sam Zell of Equity Group Investments. Coming up, we're going to get a review of last night's debate, and it's the one and only one between the candidates for New York governor. This is Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and Radio. A few years back, New York codified far more than Roe. 
When we woke up the day after the Dobbs decision, the law in New York was exactly the same as it was the day before. And I'm not going to change that. You know why nothing changed the day after the Dobbs decision? It's because I'm the governor of the state of New York and he's not. So we can talk about policies all you want, but let's look at the record. There is very few people in Congress who have a more pro-life record. That was Congressman Lee Zeldin and Governor Kathy Hochul of New York in the New York gubernatorial debate last night. Emma Court covered the debate for Bloomberg. She's here now. So that was all about abortion, Emma. I'm not sure if that was the main issue. From your point of view, as you watched it, as you covered it, what was the big issue last night? Yeah, so I think it was a really, really tense debate, right? It was really, really close, too. I think the big picture takeaway here is that you know, there wasn't a clear winner, right? Zeldin really came out swinging, especially on some of the key issues that have really helped him kind of get ahead in this race, especially crime. But Hochul was also kind of taking her hits where she could. She really, really tried to emphasize the relationship between Lee Zeldin and Donald Trump, and especially Zeldin's votes against certifying election results in key states, Arizona, Pennsylvania. So I think they both kind of hit where they could, and um, it wasn't totally clear how this would change the trajectory of the campaign so far. It was interesting the choice of issues. As you say, Lee Zeldin was really big on crime. Uh, Kathy Hochul was big on election integrity and also uh, on abortion. Uh, there wasn't, was there much about the economy, about inflation, things like that? They did talk a lot about the economy, but it was some of the same kind of old issues within New York State, right? Kind of revitalizing upstate New York's economy, uh, you know, is Zeldin really kind of talked about Hochul's budget and specifically it's the largest, you know, ever budget, you know, talked about kind of the need to restrain state spending. He wants to cut taxes. Um, but the, there wasn't a ton of substance on the economic front. I would say crime was a big theme as well as sort of abortion rights. Um, that was another thing Hochul kind of tried to really bring into view um, and uh, sort of uh, target Zeldin on. Maybe the biggest news, news was we're all watching because it's a close race, and we didn't expect that. Right. Thank you so much to Emma Court, who covers the things like the New York debate for Bloomberg. Check out the Balance of Power newsletter on the terminal and also online. Coming up, Balance of Power continues on Bloomberg Radio. In our second hour, we'll talk to former HP CEO and candidate president Carly Fiorina. And this is Bloomberg. Thank you for stopping by Masks Off, uncovering the latest topics that you need to know about. From business, human trafficking, teen-related issues, mental health and wellness, and everything in between. Stay tuned for your host, Tuskia Thomas, keeping it real, honest, and relatable. Welcome to Masks Off, where we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hello, hello, hello. I am your host, Tuskia. Welcome to Mask Off. We are here with Ms. Nikki, and we're going to talk about her experience as a teen mom. Ms. Nikki, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Okay. So I'm Nikki, and um, I'm a 43-year-old mother of two sets of twins, um, first set, which started my teen pregnancy. They're uh, 
Deontay and Devontae and my second set, which is Derek and Danae, they have been the pretty much the foundation of my life in this journey and just how I evolve each and every day. I base it off of what I want them to be able to see me um, have victory over and even my failures. Yeah. So that's where I am. That's who I am. Wow. Okay. Wow. Two sets of twins. Uh, I thought it was hard with three kids, but two sets of twins. I know you probably wanted to pull your hair out plenty of days. Oh my goodness. Yes, I actually did. Um, I, I can to be totally transparent because I've done the, the work to be able to tell my story and just talk about it and, and be comfortable with it. Oh my God, as a teen pregnancy, I was like, what am I getting ready to do? Right. How am I getting ready to do this? You know, it's not one child. It's I have twins. I'm 17. What am I getting ready to do? Yeah. And real life kicked in for me in like two quarters, mm -hmm. six months. Real life just, I had to go from a young girl that was baffled. I'm getting ready to have some type of freedom right. to saying, hey, no. You're gonna have freedom, but it's gonna you're gonna have to be very strategic in how you move. Right. And that was the beginning of wisdom. That was the beginning of it for me. And I um I'll say the very first moment that it was very humbling for me, and I had to embrace how society looked at young young pregnancies was me walking across the stage. I was, oh my God, almost 200 pounds because I had a set of twins. Mm -hmm. I was not really, really popular in school, but people knew me. Right. Um, and they knew like, oh my God, Nikki is pregnant with twins. And so many of them was proud of me because I was still graduating. But for me, I was like, I'm not going to be able to pursue my dreams. Wow. So behind the scenes for myself, it was more so, um, okay, if I can't pursue my, my dreams, I have to make sure I position myself um, mentally, physically, spiritually, financially the best I could at my age to put all my admirations and dreams and things of that nature into my kids. Right. And that was, that was the tunnel vision I've had up until maybe four years ago, where I just start, I just started to reintroduce myself to me. Right. Yeah. I know. know right. <laughs> Way too well. <laughs> so, being um, a teen mom myself, I had my first daughter at 15 in high school. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about um, the fears. And for me, it was, I guess, because my family was very religious, I was taught to be embarrassed of being a teen mom. So let's talk about some of those hurdles that still to this day, people say, oh, yeah, it's more common now. But we still have this idea or um, certain judgments 
against yes. um, Teen Mom. So let's talk about how you felt um, your experiences dealing with that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm going to say I'm sorry you experienced the religious point of being so, um, I don't know, condemned because I received that same treatment. My family was very, um, very religious, borderline cultish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um when I got pregnant it wasn't that they just scrutinized me in front of me it was the the undertone mm -hmm. of when I walked into the room right that actually molded the insecure part of me right I know that now, but then I didn't know. I just thought something was wrong. Like, oh my God, I just, God is not going to forgive me. Oh, I'm trapped. Oh my <laughs> God, I'm dirty. I'm this, you know. Right. And it took me almost two decades to unprogram myself to know that everything that has happened with my teenage pregnancy on a spiritual note, it had to happen so I can be where I am right now. Right. So I can be able to um, voice my opinion and not have a biased judgment right. of someone that made a similar decision, you know, as a teen pregnancy or someone that's done something worse or, or, or better or worse. Right. But for me, growing up, it made me feel like um, like I would never be victorious, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like I am shunned upon. The, the, mm -hmm. um, I'm unclean, and when I walk into a room, no matter how talented I I am, no matter what I offer on a positive note, they're going to somehow sense on my forehead that this is a teenage <laughs> pregnancy and she does not make good decisions. Right. And that that spirit kind of traveled with me for a, a long time until I had to fight back as a teenager. And, um, and how I fought back, truthfully, for me, was isolation. Mm. I isolated myself from people that supported what I was feeling in the inside that I didn't have the nerve to talk about. And then I increased my um, how I interacted with with other people that inspired me. I, I if that makes sense, right? You know, those who didn't, those who who fed that insecurity or that darkness. I totally, um, I didn't disrespect them or or anything of that nature. I just kind of made it be known, like, oh, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna go over here, or I'll shy away from conversations, or never go to events. Right. Um, and like I said, I strategically spoke to certain people about certain things. Um, I even went into eating certain foods, fasting. It went so deep for me because I really wanted to look in the mirror and not see what I was programmed to be um, as a teenage pregnancy. Right. You know? So, yeah. Um, let's talk about, okay, so when did you find that your voice to get to that point, that breaking point when you realized that 
it was the judgment of people and not the judgment of God. Like, what was your breaking point to find that voice within you to say, it's okay that, I don't want to say you messed up because I didn't make it seem like your child was a mistake. Your kids are a mistake and they're not. But what what was your breaking point and how, like, how did you get through that? Okay, my breaking point it was it was a tangible breaking point. I I um I went and got my first apartment. I think I was I was 18. I went and got my apartment. And it was so tough. You know, I was working at a bank. I was making decent money for that time at as a seven as an 18, 19 year old young lady. But I had two kids. It was they were eating up. Daycare was eating up everything I had, mm -hmm. and I made a decision to apply for Section Eight. Mm -hmm. I applied for Section Eight. I received Section Eight a year later. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. A year later, I received Section Eight. I'm on Section Eight in. Like the second month I was on it, they kept prying. What hours? How many hours did you work? Um, who's living in the household? What's what's this? What's that? And I'm like, man, like it reminded me of the scrutiny that I received growing mm. up in my household. Right. So I was like, you know what? That was my breaking point. I said, I am not, I will not, I'm getting ready to figure out how not to rely on any entity that gives that same forceful, um, I call it slavery right. type of mentality. I, I refuse. So what I did is I totally got off section eight and I worked my butt off. I'm talking about at the bank, Grandma's house, I worked, it, I didn't sleep. I just worked, me and my mate, we worked. And I was able to successfully buy my first home at 20 years old. Because wow. I was I was just like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to do this. Right. That was my breaking point for me on a tangible level. On a spiritual level, the breaking point for me was... Uh, to be totally honest, me helping my one of my oldest sons with homework. Mm. I can remember being so bothered, like, boy, why aren't you reading this? <laughs> I was so frustrated with him. Oh my God, I was so frustrated with him. And I still to this day remind him of, do you remember how little I made you feel? Wow. And he's like, yeah, Ma, I remember that. Mm. And I also remember the all the ways that you went back and you corrected that wrong. Right. That was an eye-opener for me when I said, oh my God, I am duplicating my previous environment right. onto my kids. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it happened in such a way that I didn't even know I was doing it until I looked at him and I seen the little me. Right. And him, and I said, oh, my gosh. That's it. That that ignited something else in me when it came to um, 
their education and being in tune with their world, not just my world. Right. And that's that right there, I would say is the foundation of why me and my children, and I'm so grateful, thank God, we have a, a great relationship because um I believe they they have watched me fail. They have watched me pick up the pieces to the puzzle. They have watched me um, be human. Right. They've watched me be human and I invite them in and I tell them all the time, you know, God really blessed me with some lovely children. And in the same sense, you guys are my children, but when I need uh, a dad, you're my, you're my dad. Right. My mom, you're my sisters, you know, you, and it really, in my household, that really works. It really works out. Right. Wow. It really works out. So it's been, it was tough though, but, and it's still, <laughs> you know, you have your days or whatever the case may be, but being a teen pregnancy, I, I wouldn't have ever imagined me being the woman that I am now and understanding as much as I do still quote unquote being a little on the younger side right you know because you're still young (laughs) (laughs) okay so um i always teach my kids that anything in life is 90 percent mental and then everything else comes together if you're not 90 percent mentally prepared it's going to either break you or make you how did you use, or how was, on a mental level, how did you stay strong? Because I know there's a lot of times, the kids these days, especially, um, we're dealing with a lot of suicide issues. And I know that mm-hmm. all of it is not related mm-hmm. to being a teen mom, but being a teen mom, it weighs down on you mentally. It weighs down. <laughs> you know, it now you're dealing you. with the, the judgment, but you know, you're dealing with the judgment, you're dealing with the financial concerns. You're dealing with a baby. Yes. You're dealing with trying to, you know, work or go to school. So mentally, let's talk about some of the mentally mental challenges you you had to go through, and then how did you overcome those? I'm gonna say this: uh, my foundation um, in my mom's home came with an abundance of having to practice. Uh, uh, mental certainty of yourself. I'll say that. So I already had some knowledge mm-hmm. in regards to me being um, a, a parent to my children. I assisted my 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 mom with helping with my youngest brother, and then I assisted my oldest brother with the help of his kids. Okay. So I was I always had it in me that mental portion um but of course when you are out there as a teen by yourself with those kids i i can honestly say one of the mental um challenges that i had was wow i have so much energy and i have so much potential to do a b c d e f and g Right. However, my financial status won't allow me to do so because I'm not out socializing because I can't afford to be out socializing. 
And if I was to go out and be socializing, I can't keep up with the Jones. So I started writing down all the things that was prohibiting me from being the great part that I thought I was supposed to be. Right. And I made my mind up. That's not for me. I just can't. It's just not adding up. And I'm tired of feeling sad about it. So I'm going to I'm going to build my own bridge over here. Right. And that's what I did. And I and ironically, I built it off of the positive atoms mm. in which I received from my religious background, mm. if that makes sense. Right. I built it off of that. I went back to what I felt was so rare and and sometimes obstructive when it came to how you know some older people um traditions would be like how god will punish you and things of that nature i took that and i ran with it in regards to a, a inner journey right so i said okay well i can't have what everybody can see the fine cars and the big house and this and that and that so how can I be the best me? Well, you got some trauma you got going on. Mm -hmm. Go and work on your inner being. Because when you walk in the room, you want people to actually feel a sense of, um, I want me her. I, 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 wanna, I want that strength that she carries. I, I want to see what is that all about. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been doing. I've been working on my inner being. And anybody that's in close proximity, they challenged me, I challenged them, and we work to become better people um, ment mentally first, because I, I just believe if your psyche is not right, right. nothing, <laughs> nothing, because I've had my moments where depression have kicked my behind, mm. where I didn't even know I was in depression right. until months later, and I'm like, I said, what? I did what? Oh, my God. But it took the support of the family that knew that my 90% of the time, I'm not that way, for mm -hmm. them to say, no, she's going through something. So they assist me in areas in which I needed to be assisted, which I, the, just the whole family support or friend support that you have, I think that right there helps out on the, on the mental note um, but to sum it up or on a mental capacity, I feel like I had a lot of practice, um, in my mom's home and it, it, that right there, she equipped me, her and, and the, her house equipped me for some of my harder days that was to come on the mental note. I was equipped in that area. Okay. Yeah. Now let's talk about, you just talked about the support system because a lot of people really don't understand not even just being a team mom, just being a person in, in general. Um, your support system can either make you or break you. So let's talk about your support system. Like what was the most important thing that got you through and what is something or some things that you went through that you wished um, could have been better or could help someone in, you know, that's going through this situation now to be better. Because I know one of the things 
my mom died two weeks before my daughter was born. But I knew one of the things when it first came out, when she found out is what happened, you know, like it wasn't, a, she didn't make me feel ashamed of myself, but it was like the, the blame game. Like, you know, is it my fault? Yeah. You know, so you, you that the tug of war within herself. So, and of course, anybody have a child to come in at, at an early age um, that says they're pregnant, your reaction, right. first of all, is shock. We get that. Yeah. But what? how can we help people to move past that shock and still be that support system? Um, how can we get people to move past that shock? Well, not for you, like in your experience, what do you, how do you feel it was beneficial or even hindered you? I feel like my mom's approach was a really good approach for me. My mom, she, she didn't, um, my mom per se, she did not just crucify me. She okay. didn't. She did look me in my eye and she said, okay, you've done something that is going to change your status quo. You're, you're not a, a young lady no more. You're, you're, you're getting ready to be a woman whether you want to or not. Right. So, time come for income taxes, you're going to file your taxes. Me and your dad going to figure out to get you an apartment. You're going to furnish your apartment with your income tax money. And voila, you're going to have to do what you have to do. Okay. At the time, I felt abandoned. Mm. I felt like, oh my God, my mom has abandoned me because I'm still just a kid. Right. But not until like maybe several years later did I realize what I thought was abandonment was her actually set me up to be resilient and stronger and be able to uh, deal with adversity on higher levels than a normal person that's one thing I will say about teenage pregnancies, the ones that really put their their heart into it, we're, we're, we're strong. We're very resilient. We don't fall eat or fold easy. We just right. don't. And um, that's something I will say um, that I absolutely feel was the greatest support I could have received. I didn't think so. Like I said, then I was young, naive. Right. But that was one of the greatest things that she did to support me in that during that time of that teenage pregnancy. But one thing that I, I wish I did receive more of, I do wish I received more of um, affirmations. Mm. Yeah. Hey, although you're a teenage pregnancy, you conduct yourself as a respectful young lady. Right. Hey, although you're a teenage pregnancy, you don't actually call and ask anybody for anything. Right. You know, those things, I, I would say water, water properly fertilize my weeds. Mm -hmm. is basically what I would use, what I would say to people. Properly fertilize my weeds because that in the, at that phase of my life it was a weed. 
Yeah. When I was young. Yeah. It was a weed. However, what what you do with it is is where the power come in at. Right. In the essence to me. And I felt like maybe with with those who did support me, just the affirmations. I think the affirmations would have taken me even uh further when it came to accomplishing goals and and things of that nature because you got to think about it I'm, I'm still I'm still a kid mm -hmm. and I'm only believing most kids are only believing in what is told to them or what they can tangibly see right all I seen was poverty feeling hopeless sometimes like oh my god I got these kids I don't know how I'm getting ready to feed them like what am I finna do right. on top of having to dig so deep on a spiritual note? Because as we both know, as teen pregnancies, our we're still young. Our minds are trying to figure out how we're going to make this money. It can get really tricky. You can. <laughs> it can get really tricky, you know, to sum it up and to still be able to have some sense of integrity behind you, knowing the options you could have chose mm -hmm. to make way. That right there to me, that separates um, me, the, the broken me from the healed me. And mm -hmm. is how I look at it. I have two more questions, I promise you. Oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> so let's talk about the spirituality of it. Mm -hmm. what, what, when did you come to reality? And let's talk about when, when you came to reality that God forgave you the moment you went through that process. The moment you got pregnant, God forgave you. But a lot of times we don't get to that point until time later that he forgave me at that point. He had, you know, he had me under his grace. So mm -hmm. when did you get to that point and how was that experience for you? Because a lot of kids need to understand that in anything they do, God still loves them. As, at the end of the day, regardless of what you did in the past, what you're doing right now, you know, God is still going to love you. He doesn't hate you. I, religion teaches us that God is disappointed at us. Religious teaches us that God hates us. So let's talk about that point when the reality came that God still loves me. In the isolation, I told you I said it for myself. Um, I was confused because I'm like, how is it that I am this unclean young lady because I, you know, had sex out of wedlock? and got pregnant with the kids. How am I so unclean and and feel through human beings' eyes that I'm beneath and not above, but when it comes to me walking throughout my daily life, I actually don't feel bad. I feel at peace. What is, what is the middle ground? Right. So during that isolation, I realized to be quiet and watch people and how they conduct themselves and ask plenty of questions. So mm -hmm. I started asking all my elders, 
how was life when y'all grew up? What was this? And what was that? And it, I came to a conclusion that a lot of them, they experienced the same thing I did. They mm -hmm. did the same thing I did. And I, then at that point, I had to say, are they hypocritical or do they have a certain level of ignorance based off of religion? Right. Not spirituality, but right. religion. And that's when I said, oh, my goodness. They're only doing what they were taught. Mm -hmm. And most people knock the next person down to make sure that they sound like they did good or they feel good. Right. And that's when I start realizing, oh, my gosh, this self-righteous thing, it goes way deeper than what the eyes can see. Right. So... I said in my isolation, I am going to ask all these questions. I'm going to figure out why do I still feel okay about being a parent? Because I'm doing the best that I can. And my kids love me. I love them. I don't feel like God is just whipping on me. Like how they whipping on me. I don't feel right. that. So, right. So I said, quietly, I asked questions. And I figured out that they went through the same thing that I went through and I didn't pass judgment on them. And that inspired me to look deeper in God's words in regards to what he say I will go through or we all will go through on earth mm -hmm. for me to start being able to discern different spirits, where they are, what they doing. Are they there to uh, give some type of growth you know, to me or, uh, or attack me. And if they are attacking me, is it really they're attacking me because they feel like they have to attack me or is it something about me they don't quite understand? Right. So that, that opened up a door for me to, to truthfully be pure mm. at heart towards people. Behind their backs, in front of them, I'm, I'm pure. Right. When it comes, you know, to it. So for me, that's what that was. That's when spirituality really started kicking in. Because I was I was challenging, like, what? I feel okay. You know, I'm struggling and everything. But I feel like God getting ready to send me to hell because right. I had kids. Right. You know, exactly. So I would say, if, if I could, if I had a young lady sitting in front of me, I'll tell her, this is the time. First of all, God don't make no mistakes. Having those kids at that early age, yes, it was a decision that I had made, but having the kids at those certain age, it prepared me for something so much bigger and wealthier than what the actual eye can see. Right. Like in my insides, I, I feel a sense, a, a connection. It's a connection that I have that it's like no value over it. Right. And that's what I would tell a young lady, like, it's going to be like, it's going to be hard, but you have to maintain a certain, um, a certain, I don't know, understanding about yourself that you need room and you deserve room to, to grow, right. to fail to understand some things, mm -hmm. to not understand, like you really need to understand that you're a person inside of this journey. Right. Like you're you're a person. I like 
literally visualize your, yourself being outside of what you actually physically see sometimes. Right. So you can really dictate to yourself and be your own friend because ultimately you, it's just you. Right. You know, be your own friend. Right. So that's what I would say. And the last question. Mm -hmm. if in this opportunity, what would you say to your younger self? Ooh, through life and all your experiences, what would you sit back and tell your younger self? My younger self? What would I tell my younger self? I believe I would tell my younger self that every obstacle that you have is actually a door in every obstacle. And that door, you can hold on to that doorknob and open that door up based off of your perception right. of whatever it may be. And the perception, you make the perception, just because it seems like it's a negative or derogatory thing going on in your life, like I, I will challenge myself to change my perspective of what that is, that is really the opposite. Like, this is not something negative. Right. This is actually preparation for the next level of which I'm going to be going. Right. I, I would just keep reminding myself that the world tells you, I, I just kind of feel like the world sometimes tell you what's negative is positive and what's positive is negative. Right. Like, you, for example, you have the teenage pregnancies. Right. Oh, you know, it's they still shunned upon, but it's a little bit more open nowadays. Right. But they'll tell you that all oh, those young ladies, statistic-wise, they're, you know, they're gonna live in poverty, they're not gonna be this, they're gonna be that. But they're not telling you that those young ladies that were teenage or are or were teenage pregnancies, those are some of the more commendable community members yeah. they're the ones that the backs of the communities they they know how to serve right you know so that's that's what i would tell my younger self change your perspective of this door being a door of opportunity opposed to it being a door that's being closed for you mm. just you have the power to to change that thought process it's no one else it's you right so that's what I would say. Well, thank you, Ms. Nikki, for sharing yes, your story with us today. I absolutely love it. And we definitely will have to have you back on the show. I appreciate you having me. I really do. And thank you to all our viewers for listening to her story today. We hope you join us for our next episode.
Hey, 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 you're now tuned in to the two coolest laid-back cultures of the podcast industry. I'm the King Kalanoff, a.k.a. the Third Shirt King, B.K.A. Give Your Woman the Baby Legs. Shall we shag now or shall we shag later? A.B. And I'm the dopest square you can find. And the dopest square you can find. Dopest square you can find. Small talk. What's the word? What's the word, man? And this is episode 104. 104. Podcast. Mun disease. 104. Because of blizzle. What's the word, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, it's a new um, new season. Love fall. Mm-hmm. Like the colors of fall. Like it's so beautiful. All the different color leaves and the the weather be like just right sometimes, but it's still good hoodie weather. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I love this season, man. So, um, oh, before I get to what I'm how I'm doing. Uh, make sure y'all follow us, subscribe, all that good stuff. Podcast Mondays with a Z. If you're new to listening, we're getting a lot of different eyes on our prizes on um, Facebook and Instagram Reels and fa- uh, YouTube Reels. So if y'all new to the show, uh, you you in you in for a good one. Um, but I'm doing good, man. I uh, you know got my first wedding to DJ yeah. coming up. Uh, you know, getting through all my little kinks, you know, so I, I can, um, you know, have a good good night. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I've been really practicing on the DJ, so I think I got the transitioning down pack. It's just all about the playlist and mm-hmm. being on the mic and all that good stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm getting ready for that. Uh, shout out to Amp, Amazon Amp. Finna start getting paid from that. Doing, uh, doing the, uh, the radio thing. Make sure y'all follow me on Amp Radio, uh, Lover Boy. Yeah. And I think I might call myself DJ Lover Boy. I don't know. You, that, means, that means you can't play no hip hop. <laughs> well, I can play hip hop. Yeah, you, you got a point. <laughs> you try to put some Jeezy in that shit. Hey, I love music. Look, I love hip hop. I love music. You put some Jeezy in there, then you gonna get your your drop. DJ Liverboy. You know, like, like yeah, I can't put that with that. I have to use that drop for only R and B. Yeah, you gotta get some gunshots or some of that. Uh, but uh, other than that, man, good. I I also want to uh, plug another podcast I was on. Me and my wife was on. I meant to say it last episode, but mm-hmm. um, shout out to us, Summer. Um, I was on a KPP podcast with her, Kick Push Pool. I'm gonna put the link in the bio. Uh, but we was talking about, you know, marriage, and we was talking about um, the dating world. You know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of based on our perspective on, you know, what we see uh, in the in the dating world. Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of advice, man. We was dropping straight gems on that show. So uh, make sure y'all tune in and the 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 link is in the bio. That's uh, the title is the youngest, oldest couple you ever seen. So, uh, pretty dope, man. So other than that, man, just doing the jack of all trades, man. I'm just trying to do so much, man. Um, you you mentioned last episode um, 
gave me an idea about the wake up R and B, and uh, I'm gonna put the link in there. I just started the YouTube page last night, so uh, wake up, wake wake up R and B would be basically um, hip, not hip hop. R&B artists only R&B artists and songs That you might not heard of But they all dope mm -hmm. um, It might be an artist that like Trey songs that y'all know But it might be a song that just was Not discovered by a lot of people So I'm gonna be you know Presenting a lot of different R&B songs You gonna show your face? Yeah I'm gonna I'm start off I'm gonna have like a little intro and then I'm gonna go into the songs, and I'm gonna kind of give like a quick review on the song. Mm -hmm. And this is for people so they can add it to their library. You know what I'm saying? Get hip to new artists, get hip to new songs, shit like that. But yeah, just jack of all trades, man. I, 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 I love it. I love it, man. Like some people be like, you, you a jack of all trades, master of none. I don't believe that shit, man. Like you got to see what works. You know what I'm saying? I'm just gonna try as many things I can do until I get there. You know what I'm saying? What about you? Cause I was the word, shit. man. Yes, you been. <laughs> he did shit. Uh, What's the word though, man? It was good, man. Shit, I ain't did nothing. I just re I, I, I relaxed. I relaxed, relaxed, relaxed. Ready, for, ready for uh, being playoffs. Uh, get these playoffs Coaching? over. With. Yeah, yeah, shout out to that. Get these playoffs over. With. Get these um, this ring over with and relax and get back to my workouts that's about it i ain't been doing nothing i've been just chilling chilling and chilling and chilling <laughs> well shout out to that because we all need to chill that's that peace right there you Man, know what i'm saying i'm telling you i ain't fucked it i'm good uh jeezy dropped a new album oh yeah oh, so yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. you know it's only right to play um, Cuzzo's one of Cuzzo's favorite songs since you know he got he got everything going on over here, man. Cuzzo is like he like gonna become <laughs> DJ. You know, saying he DJ and shit, gonna start his YouTube. But I'm proud of you, man. Hey, man. I'm proud of you. But yeah, no, Jeezy dropped a new album. I was called uh, what was it called? Snowfall. Snowfall, yeah. Snowfall by Jeezy. What you think about it before you play it, man? Just know I was at my my little desk. Throwing up gang signs and I forgot where I was at. <laughs> and you in a corporate job? I'm in a whole corporate job. Headphones on, eyes closed. I'm I'm throwing up my old set. Um, yeah, what I got from the album, um, first listen is just 2005 G. Mm. Uh, Trap or Die, Jeezy. Um, Trap or Die Jeezy, so. Yeah, it kind of sound like it came like after that, like yeah, the way it's yeah. Even though he older, yeah. he talking about older shit too. But. Right, true. That's a fact. And uh, but you know, it's you know, it, it definitely gives you that 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 two thousand five in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Thug motivation. It was, it was, it was uh, something he said. I hit the kitchen lights. Uh. Cockroaches everywhere. Hit the kitchen lights. Now nah, it's marble floors everywhere. And that's off of one of his old songs. That shit was somewhere. Like, but yeah, think about what hard. he said. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. shit hard. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it, man. Um, Jeezy, man. That was vintage Jeezy on this one, man. So shout out to Jeezy, man. This is Snowfall, man. This song is so hard. This is one of the songs I I found um, that I found that that really connected to me. I don't know why. It was just so gritty. It's so like, so like grimy. 
Like this song you about to play Like this song yeah. to me is like grand, a, lot, a lot of them though Like they sound like anthems You know what I'm saying You know that's That was Jeezy bag He always had All his songs sounded like anthems dun, 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 dun. You know what I'm saying Like it all had like a little A little pop to it But uh, yeah this one here man This one here is hard So let's, just, let's go ahead and um Quit talking about it. Bring it in. You know what I'm saying? Jeezy. Talk about it. Be about it. Snowfall. Let's go. go. Get it. Came out. Podcast Monday. Episode on, 104. Uh, right. Came out on Friday. What day was that? It came out on Friday. It came out on Friday. That was. Um, it's, it's been in the radio. October 21st. Yeah. If you ain't listen to it, go get it. Jeezy, uh, Snowfall. We finna play Scarface. Let's get it, son. It's kind of like I don't even want to throw my DJ drops now because it's like he already has He already so much going on. I'm not even fucking with it. Turn it up a little bit. There we go, right there. When he bring it back, this sound like some mixtape shit right there. And it sound good in the court too. So I believe Happy Monday, everybody. For him to not be on that street shit no more, it's, it's still got that street feel to it. Strong 
Shout out to Jeezy, man. Make sure y'all go get that snowfall. Yeah, man. That's 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 that feel, boy. Yeah, that dun 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 dun. Uh, while we on rap artists, man. Um, so I want to try this real quick with you. See how this go. Go here we go. I'm gonna call this. You know, you you ever seen like um like post on Facebook where it'd be like a it'd be like a collage of different people and they say like one gotta go. I'm gonna try that with you today. Okay, here we go. We got a new game, y'all. Yeah, so uh, one gotta go. One gotta go, okay. and I'm gonna name off these artists. And these, if I, if I, when I say one gotta go, meaning they never existed into music, into hip hop, nothing. Like this, just never happened. So I got how I many I got here? I think I got four. Yeah, four, and they all kind of in the same, got the same feel to each other. DMX is one. Oh, shit. And I'm going to put their pictures right here, too. DMX, Tupac, Ja Rule, 50 Cent. I know you quick to probably say Ja Rule, but he, he kind of, to me, birthed the, that hip-hop R&B feel to music nowadays. DMX, DMX, mm-hmm. Tupac, mm-hmm. Ja Rule, mm-hmm. or Fifty Cent. Um, they all play the impact to the culture in a way, different ways. DMX and Tupac did movies. Yeah, um, Fifty Cent. Uh, run it. <laughs> he be doing. He be making his own shows and shit. I'm trying not to put my personal feelings in this. Well, kind of, you know, break it down how you want. It's all you. So the personal feeling, and is, I have my own. I have my take too. The personal feeling is, I would, I would let Fifty Cent go. Personal feeling wise, why? Why would you say Fifty Cent? Because Fifty Cent came, when he came in the game, he went at he went at Ja Rule, mm-hmm. killed the whole G, uh, yeah, the, the whole murdering, right? Yep, yeah, pretty much. But then turned around, and did exactly what Ja Rule was doing, like what singing on the songs. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, almost like got him out the way so he can do it, so he could do it. So it's like he really didn't have his own generic style. He just basically came bullied, like Fifty Cent is a bully. Right, we, get, we got that. Like, then he be, yeah, yeah, yeah. He be on social media bullying everybody. Um, but he came in bullied Ja Rule and did exactly what Ja Rule did. But if you want to talk about like for the culture, then it'll be Ja Rule gone because Fifty Cent has done a lot for the culture. 
as far as like he, you know, music, movies, movies, shows, stuff like that. So produce that shit. I don't know, man. Like, if we talking about if we talking about hip hop, if we talking about music, then we just say, talking about strictly music, nothing else. Mm-hmm. It would be it would be fifty cent for me because Ja Rule had a lot of more classics for me. Yeah, he do got a lot of classics. You know, fifty cent. Fifty cent had. Fifty Cent had one good album that you could play, and that was the very first album you were not trying. But then he had a couple songs that you would play that would be nice, but you you wouldn't play the whole album. Ja Rule had a lot of Ja Rule was yeah, killing it for about a good a good three years, man. Like for real, like he was he was the hottest for about a good three years. So until Fifty Cent came in and smashed his ass, but yeah. Hmm. That's that's my take on it. I say, so we can do music. I like that for the culture and for music. Maybe just got two different people for that. For music, I would say for music, I would say Jaru. Get rid of Jaru. Yeah. Okay. Um. I feel like he he did. I feel like birth that hip hop R and B mix blend together. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm pretty sure it happened before. I mean Diddy and I mean like they've been doing hip hop and R and B. No, but he but he, he took he, it to the next those, level. Those, those is, that was his niche. Yeah, that was his niche with his Sean T and other people like that. Yeah. Um, but. I feel like just because he took it to the next level, it might have been somebody else that would have did it if he never existed. Well, you know, Nelly started doing it. Yeah, he started doing it. So you would have got that same feel from that type of sound from another artist. Yeah. Um, so I would say Ja Rule. I can't say nothing about like like DMX, man. He He was like, Tupac first was me. He like that was like that my first artist that I was into in hip hop, mm-hmm. and then it went to DMX once Tupac left because they kind of reminded me of the same like real. Hit it? N- no, they started from nowhere in the thing. You don't think so? Hell no. Hell no, dude. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> why? Okay. Why you say? Why you say hell no? Cause. I can see you saying no, but why hell no? Because I'm gonna tell you why. Go back and listen to Tupac. Mm-hmm. Tupac was saying uh, revolution shit. He was speaking on like the revolution. Like he was speaking on like Black Panthers type shit. Tupac was a poet, right? Mm-hmm. Listen to how he listen to how he delivered. He delivered with smooth, calm. Sometimes some rowdy stuff. When we're DMX thinking about drugs. Yeah, but he was talking about life too. But he wasn't talking about revolutions. I mean, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't talking about the Black Panthers. No, he was thinking about, he was talking about the streets. Uh-huh. And on top of that, DMX delivery is way what delivery, raspy yeah. and, and, and grimy than Tupac ever would be. Tupac has some, Tupac, Tupac. Tupac has some grimy songs. 
But he didn't have but in that era. It was it was great. What hit him up? Oh yeah, a bunch of them. I can't pull them up. Let's see. But I feel like they both talked about they death. That's all. That's all they talked about. Mm-hmm. Tupac talked about his death so much. Mm-hmm. DMA. That's I think that's probably what what keyed in to me because they both was talking about they death and like. I mean, they they talked about a lot of. But here it is. Here it is. Which one is this? Big sight, <laughs> new, hang, up, big sight. Y'all know how this shit go, you know. Hold eyes on me, Roll up in the club. I don't know. I feel like they topics were similar, but they they delivery was different, which make them sound not sound the same. Plus, I think DMX got his style from. He looked like he. Hey, yo, let's get papers and pop mobile holes up in skyscrapers. But what about they look, though? They look as motherfuckers. The way they carry yourself, shirt off all the goddamn time. Yeah, DMX was definitely. He was dark. Yeah, DMX was dark for his shit. And then you got this song. Floating away, wait, tell me what he was thinking, so I opened the way. Something for my God, Sandy Lies. He's all talking about, you know, it's different. It's a different vibe. You know what I'm saying? Which album was that Tupac had? He he went in the dark place, too. Some say the black of the bed, the sweet of the juice. I say the dark of the flesh. You got this on. You ain't got no motherfucker. That's why I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. This, this is kind of grimy. Yeah, this is grimy. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that. I ain't trying to turn that. Turn that. Turn that. Little fucker. Shit. Little fucker. Yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah, I just feel like I, 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 outside of them being bald. I just feel like they style like the, the it, it, not the style with they not not they flow, but like they the image, the way they look, they where they carry themselves. Tupac when when Tupac come in that motherfucker, he he got his shirt off, he like, motherfucker, look at me. You know what I'm saying? I'm taking over the room. That's how the DMX was too. Come in there, shirt off. Right, right, right. You know, in the room, I'm in this motherfucker. No, I get it. I get it. Look at I, me. I get it, but it's just their styles to me is just to me, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To you, you know. You, yeah, I got my own little take Yeah, on. but to me, it's just the image was more. I mean, your face, man, and you know, just. But I mean, Where my dogs at? Yeah, yeah. It's a cool song. Somewhere. But I, I would say so. Go back. I would. I would say Ja Rule, mm-hmm. and Ja Rule. I feel like was was on that. On they they type of image too, like both of them, like shirt off all the goddamn time. But see, but see, but this ain't right. So Jaru, he cause he started off kind of like he tried to hit the same Grammy flow, but he again he found he was place. under DMX for one point. Yeah. At one point, but what no? So a lot of people don't know is, did you know that Jaru? Jay Z and DMX, yeah, 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 was supposed to be right a trio, Murder Inc. Oh, was all it? three of them supposed to be the most. That was supposed to be the that was supposed to be the, the whole record label was Murder Inc. Mm. 
It's a song on here. I ain't got it. But it's a song called Murder. Uh-huh. Murder. And it's um, Ja Rule, um, 50 Cent. Not 50 Cent. Ja Rule, DMX, and Jay-Z had been on that song. A lot of people don't know that, man. Yeah, that's, yeah. Did I, act, did I answer the for the culture one, though? Let's see. Um, Let me see. No, you didn't. I don't think you answered for the culture. Okay, for the culture, I would say if they never existed, I would say, uh, hmm. For the culture, I would say, I would say 50 Cent. 50 Cent, 50 Cent. Yeah, I would say 50 Cent. I feel like, like, he, sometimes he be on some shenanigans, man. So, <laughs> said the right word? Hey, man. It sound like a, a square word to hey, say. Hey, 50 Cent be heavy cracking <laughs> up, man. Yeah, 50 be on some shenanigans, man. So, I mean, outside of his shows, like, he, he definitely, he doing very well, like, being an entrepreneur, business owner, all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like we can do without, you know what I'm saying, 50 Cent in the culture, but music. What? Do you think so? As far as like the what, hip-hop or, or as far as like... Hip-hop. Yeah, hip-hop culture. Oh, I said, whoa. Like the music, I, 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 I think he should have been here for music, but it's like the culture-wise, maybe no. I mean, you got... I mean, we, we had other people that, that uh, curated movies and shows like Ice Cube and shit, you know. Um, I mean, Fifty Cent taking it to the next level, but still, I don't think mm-hmm. you know. If we was to never have Fifty Cent in the culture, mm-hmm. that's fine with me. So here's a song that uh, I was talking about with Ja Rule and uh, oh, you found it. Yeah. This pussy rhymes like weight right now. <laughs> you, know like weight. Yeah. you gotta push rhymes like weight. You got to. It's still and it's Jay Z, DMX, Ja Rule. As long as you're black, your life is gonna be a hustle. Was it like an intro? I like it hard. I like it hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, just hear how, like, I think DMX started off first. What happened, though? Do you know what happened? Like, why did they... Too many egos. Too many egos. Uh-huh. Now, now, hear, now, hear DMX voice. That is not... Don't worry, it, it helped no, no, no. That's not too far. But he used, to do, he used to yell like that, too, though. Too far? Yeah! No. Keep it around corners. Come on, man. You see it like that, too. Oh, not like all the time. That's all DMX did. That was his niche. But Tupac did that shit. What's the name of this? Oh, what's the name? It's murder. It's murder. It's murder. I watch JC. It's murder. Motherfuckers. 
You sound so young. <laughs> you know what? I'm sorry, man. I, you start talking to me about hip hop, my mind. You, you, st- you still going to the bag? Oh, still going out, let me man. get in this bag real quick. All right, let me go. Yes. <laughs> so, cause oh, uh, since we on hip hop, we on music. No, it's only right. Uh, what do you think about what's going on with this man? Uh, yay! Recently, like I, I I'm kind of tired of talking about this dude, but it's just some things like you just can't pass. So what do, you, what do you think about his actions recently with the interviews and like people taking him off shit? Cause he he just he just going on a, a mad rant right now. Then it's not good. What do you think is going on? I don't know, man. No, um, I think I'm more so. It's not even like the stuff that he's saying, man. I'm not even. They don't even. They don't even outrage me no more. Um, it's more so now. Like I, I think we talked on the phone. I was like, he just he he in too deep. Um, like he don't he. He like he's doing. He's like pins himself so so deep into uh so deep into into it nowadays. Like shit, ain't no coming back. Ain't no coming back. You know what I'm saying? And uh, he keep. It's just like he he cannot shut the fuck up. Now. Oh yeah, it's getting worse. <laughs> but the thing is, he can't shut up though. He has to keep going now because mm-hmm. he's he's already. The, the, you know now people you got you got people that follow him like they like yeah you know what I'm saying he's speaking the real you know what I'm so saying? he listens to those people and that's why yeah, he's keeping so, it up and that but voiceless to person me, to be honest with you I think they make him keep it up mm-hmm. I think he want to shut up because now he but he can't though he cannot he he's he's he dug himself too much of a hole man and um. If he shut up, they, people gonna be like, "Worth, worth, worth, worth Kanye." They, they, they trying to keep him quiet. Da, 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 da. They, mm. like, you know what I'm saying? So he being blackballed, right? He so. actually is because he put he putting that on himself though. I say, is he being blackballed? Did he do it for himself? That's yeah, what I was saying. Like, yeah, no, I, I don't think he getting blackballed. I think he. I think that's he what he blackballing himself. He blackballing himself. <laughs> like, let me like. I think he just lost a deal with Balenciaga, so yeah. it's like. Yo, man, like, I don't, I don't know. The first thing first is the first phase um, is they take your money. That's the first phase. So he he's losing all these all these big endorsements. He losing all of them, and then he's getting sued, which I don't think he's gonna get two hundred fifty million. But uh, I mean, I don't think he's gonna they gonna get two hundred fifty million. But they gonna get something. They not gonna get two hundred fifty million, but they gonna get something. Um, that and then on top of this. Uh, the first phase is to take your money. If you keep talking, man, the second phase, man, you're gonna be you sh- over with. They gonna they gonna uh, not put it in there, man. But yeah, I, I'm uh, praying that he that he survived this because anybody can be touched. Martin Luther King got touched. Malcolm X got touched. John F. Kennedy. Out of all the people in the world, John F. Kennedy got touched. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anybody can be touched. 
So the way you you going down a slippery slope, talking big about the Jews or whatever, they, we all know that the, the government the and Jews, the Jews bro. and all this is the biggest gang out here. We get it, but you, that's a, you know, it's just he's fighting about it. Like he he's fighting a battle that nobody can help. Nobody man. can help, man. <clears throat> and then you got these people like you got impossible these, to win too. Impossible, yeah. You got all these folks that's. That's like egging them on, like yeah, Kanye, this and this, kind of like man, like do y'all understand what's gonna happen? Because mm. then all you gonna do is, if something happened to him, all y'all do, well, he was speaking the real, and y'all gonna go on with y'all lives, and he's not gonna be here. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm more so, I'm more so worried about what's the next step to happen to him. That's what I'm worried about because the first phase is already happening. They taking all his endorsements, everything is gone, and he's getting sued. So I'm, I'm afraid of the second one. And he just keep going. He just, he keep going because he, he can't stop. He cannot stop because he didn't, like I said, he didn't say, he didn't told, he didn't said so much that if he be quiet now, that would be a problem. It's almost like, you know, if you, you know, when you lie about something, mm-hmm. you got to keep lying. You got to keep lying because like, and then you dig yourself more into the lie because you're lying over the lie. Yeah. To make that lie not sound like a lie, but you making this lie sound worse. Um, I think that's what he doing, man. Uh, like I, I like I said last episode, he know what he doing. Like he he strategically putting himself in certain positions for a reason. Like he's saying certain things because he he wants to be talked about. He wants to be. Mm-hmm. He think that's his way of being, you know, getting good publicity, any publicity. He just want to say something to make motherfuckers go crazy and say his name. And uh, I would say he got so much money, man, but he looks so bad, man. Yeah, he do. He, he looks he, so he looked like he, a straight he looks stressed out. homeless man. He looks stressed out. And he but he got all that money. But. Remember we said DoorDash. Who who got DoorDash? <laughs> it's crazy. Um, DoorDash. DoorDash. <laughs> All in our damn uh, podcast. I told you, maybe it's these other podcasts. <laughs> you ain't no DoorDash. <laughs> DoorDash. It ain't, we ain't order no DoorDash. Anymore. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm, I just feel like, man, <laughs> Kanye, man, he it's scary for him, man. I ain't made a post on Facebook. That's hilarious, dude. Door Dash. Door Dash. name the episode, Door Dash. That's right. <laughs> um, I had made a post because of it. I, I said it's getting scary for Kanye. Right. Yeah. And, and some people was like, he's protected, man. He's a legend. Man, it's not protected. And it's no, he's human. Like, you think this man an alien or something? Like, you think this man is like a hologram or something? Like, he, like he's not a physical human body. Like, he's just. Like physic, like just not physically here. Like he's just a hologram walking around talking shit. No, he's gonna get touched, and I hope he don't. You know what I'm saying? But it's looking bad. Like he, he <laughs> you speaking bad on the Jews. Like you, 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 you threatening people too. Threatening rappers. He, they might not do it, but they can have their boys do honestly, something too. They, they, that part is done. He not even, he not even worried about rappers no more now. It's over with now. That, that. 
that was just the that was just the little scheme of his little thing to get him there to talk about more people man that that the rappers is done deal like Diddy all them they done he has nothing else to say to them because now he now he done, he done kept he's now he's yeah at he, a, he he's he at a high level now, yeah he reached another ladder it's like yeah he at the he, very top of the ladder right now talking shit. Trying to expose secrets and all the kind of, you know, they don't, they don't like that. You know, yeah. you, you know, you don't run this world because you got the most money. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's what he think. Like, I got the most money. I run this motherfucking world. They can't do nothing to me. And that's a lie. Man. Somebody gonna, gonna bring you down to, to ground you, zero. They gonna reach out and touch your ass. I'm telling you. Gonna reach out and touch your ass. And this and. Ain't nobody gonna do shit. All motherfuckers gonna do is make posts about them, and 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 that's just and that's, that's it. Just, that's just it. They gonna go on with their lives, man. Like if y'all really y'all y'all really his friends, y'all like look, hey, we understand, dog. Because I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna act like what he's saying. What he's saying, some shit ain't accurate. Some shit he's saying is accurate, but the whole George Floyd thing is not accurate. Uh, we all literally seen what happened. <laughs> like, nigga, like, come on now. But some of the other shit he's saying is, you know, it's it's an accurate to it, but it's the way it's the way he they he's delivering, they it. delivering it. Yeah. And yeah, man. I mean, I don't know, man. I guess you got to be accountable for the action that you're gonna come to you. Because if you if you ain't behind every action is a reaction. And behind everything, decision that you make in your life is a consequence, whether it's a good consequence or a bad consequence. Uh, it's a consequence. Like you, you go pay pay for it, and, and I just hope he's able to just <laughs> be accountable for his uh for his actions. His actions. Do you uh do you feel like you take accountability? Cause yeah, I do. Uh, oh, was it a time that you did? I did not. What age you think? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> what age you feel like that was? Or what uh, era of your life? Um, to be honest with you, man, I, I kind of, I felt like when I started hitting like like my late twenties, I started kind of started taking accountability on certain things that I've done. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I'm not perfect. Nor would I ever be. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Uh, so I start taking accountability on certain things from now. Uh, uh, of just, just certain things, decisions that I'm making. Yeah. So like, like, like I have no problem with saying, yo, I apologize. Like, mm-hmm. I know some cats out here just they some dope, so much of a narcissist, narcissist that they yeah. they feel like they don't need to apologize. And I, and I think that's part of his problems where I'm going at. To hear narcissist. Yeah, he got all that money. Can't yeah, tell him nothing. Definitely a narcissist. You can't tell him nothing, so you think, man. You think, you think when you you think when you be getting all that money, you should become a narcissist, or you think narcissists are already inside you? It's just you just need to get to a level to be a narcissist. I think it's already inside of you. Yeah. I think it's already inside of you, but that could spark like that money. Like I don't want that much money. I, I just want money to be comfortable with, but. That's like I feel like the more money you got, the less human you are. Like the less like you care about certain things because like I got the money, I'm gonna just pay my way out of it. I'm gonna just pay my way through it. You know what I'm saying? It's like the money just kind of like take over the brain. 
<laughs> Especially if you you know you you got to have a situation that's going to humble you enough to make you realize, okay, I am human. You know, right. like the money just kind of take you to another world. You know, like you, you above everybody. You you don't need to be in this conversation. I got more money than you. Why am I talking to you? You know, and that's another topic. But I mean. I just feel like that's what's going on with him. And as far as answering the same question I gave you, um, when I was young, I feel like everybody, when they're younger, they just don't take accountability yeah, for their hood. Uh, you know how many times I lied, bro? I remember one time I, I remember one time, <laughs> time, time I lied. I remember one time, dude, my, I had my dumb ass. I don't know, man. My dad just know me. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Oh, they, they, yeah. So, so, so it was a, uh, it was a, uh, it was uh, my friend at the time. He uh, came over. We was playing, we was playing, we was playing a Nintendo or some shit. That's how you know we old. Oh yeah, you showing your and, age uh, right, right here, right, yeah, yeah. And uh, I went downstairs. And I, I don't know why I thought it was like the coolest thing to do is to. I had a super, a super soaker twenty. And uh, if, we, if we get a picture, man, we could post it. Oh, some people, some people don't know what a Super Soaker Twenty super is. Super Soaker Twenty. So I had like a Super Soaker Twenty, little small joint. Uh-huh. And so I will, uh, I will literally go down there and shoot the uh, the light, the light bulb because and then it showed its steam came off the light bulb. Which one of these is it? Uh, the Super Soaker Twenty. That one. That one here. Yeah. I remember this one. Yeah, I had that too. Um. So I would go there and I would shoot the I would shoot the light bulb, but the steam would come off, and I'm like, oh, this is like dope. So I'm shooting it, and then that mother said, I think I like shot too much water on that, uh-huh. and I didn't know that if you shoot too much, if, if 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 the light bulb is lit and water gets on it, uh-huh. it busts the light bulb. I had no idea that's it. And it busts it busts it the light bulb. It, the, the light bulb blow. I had no idea. So I'm like shooting, 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 and then them was said, "Poo!" And I was like, "Oh shit!" So I like ran <laughs> in the room. Right, <laughs> my dad sitting outside. My daddy, my uncle sitting outside, and my dad like he heard it. So he like, "What was that?" What so the hell I'm, was that? So I went in the room, whatever. How old was you? I think I was probably like seven. Oh damn. So I ran in the room. I threw the, uh, the threw the gun at him. Threw the gun at who? That's my friend. I threw the gun at him, and I took the control out of his hands. So I'm like, trying to like, like, like it was his, like his fault. Like, not I'm trying to play right. I'm trying to play. I'm like, nigga, game. how you gonna put me out like that, dog? Hey, dude, my dad carried it to him. He went in the basement. He said, "What the hell happened to her? He seen the water." Man, that dude instantly came in and got my ass. I'm yeah, like, he already I knew it, your ass. You trying to <laughs> put it on somebody else. He said, I know that's my son. Uh, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, like, I think that's just all part of, like, lying. Like, you just lie so much, and you don't want to tell, you don't want to just say, tell yourself, this is the truth. Like, I, I believe that. You know, I think that's what accountability is. It's kind of like, yeah, you right. You know, just take, just say you, just say you was wrong. Damn it, just say you was wrong. And I'm, I'm dealing with that with my teenager. Oh man, I'm dealing with that with my teenager, man. She, you know, it, she the more, she, she the type that you will tell her, don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. And she'll do it and know that 
it was wrong, but she'll just blame it on something else. Like, so say my son had something in his hand, it was glass or something, and she bumped him, right, and knocked it out of his hand. But instead of saying, I'm sorry, I, I, I knocked it out of your hand, she gonna say, you shouldn't have ran into me. You shouldn't have been right here so I can hit you. You know what I'm saying? You shouldn't have been in this position to make me do that. Just say you're sorry for dropping it. You know, you did it. Right. So that's like, like, like in life, like this is crazy. Like, cause in life, when you fuck up, you fuck up. You fuck up and just say you fucked up. Like just don't don't blame it on like say like say like hey, say, when you get older, nigga, there is no fucking way of not taking accountability, nigga. When you fuck up when you get older, nigga, you it, fuck it's, up. It's obvious. Nigga, yes. Cause it's like like say I'm riding around with, with expired plates or something, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh and I get pulled over. Mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, I shouldn't have came to St. Anne, man. Like, don't blame St. Anne. Uh, yeah. You should have got your plates right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and, and and if I know that I'm riding dirty, you know what I'm saying? I'm just like, I'm, I am I expect to get pulled over. Yeah. I know this might be a little personal, right? But, you know, we, we transparent with our, with our Yeah, all the time. So my nephew got, my nephew got a son. Okay. Shout out to him, man. I might say happy uh, birthday, but congratulations. <laughs> well, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a great uncle. There Jesus. we go. Jesus. Yeah, me too, bro. Uh, but so he was like, he's like, uh. <laughs> he's like, I don't know how it's possible that I had it. We was protect. I said, nigga, stop lying. Right, right, right. <laughs> Money, I was protected. He's like, you know who he was? I said, dude, there's no way in hell. I said, there's no way. If that baby is yours, there's no way in hell that you protect it. I was like, um, so he got, got DNA testing it. You know, mm-hmm. he came back 99.9. Oh, yeah, son. That's your so that's, boy. That's and then on top of that, you can't you can't deny it. When you see him, you like, oh, shit. Yeah. Nah, that look just like you, boy. He's like, he, he, he gonna talk about, man, it, it looked like me a little bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, you think? He looked like me a little bit. I said, nigga, that's you. <laughs> You know how they try to. You know how they, you know how people be like. They don't look like me doing that. You yeah, don't you think know so? And then you be like, Ugh, you know what I think it was, man. Like he, he 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 happy. He is happy to be. That's what's up, man. man. Hit that clap again, man. But you know what I think it was with him, though, man. I think that he was so worried about what we would think of, what we would think of mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. But we got realized, like, we, like I told myself, bro, you, you're 22. You got this, bro. You 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 older now. Like yeah. you, you you have to. You know you 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 left. You're not in, you're not in St. Louis no more. You're not staying with your mommy. You know you you been gone for four years, dude. So I yeah, mean, you got this. Like, like he. So once he realized that the whole family was just like congratulations and happy for him, he was like, oh, he accepted well, you know, it a little like, better. Oh, well, yeah, he accepted like, it a little better. Right, he yeah. was trying to. He was trying to. You know, he probably felt like y'all was gonna um, be upset, be upset, or just disappointed. disappointed right? No, dude, babies are blessings, bro. Yeah, bro, babies are blessings, and you know, what I'm saying even even if in, in situations that it ain't the, the best situations, it's still a blessing. At the end of the day, you know what I mean. Like they don't, some babies don't ask to be here. 
You know what I'm saying? It's up to us to be uh, lovable um, to them. And that's what I told him. I was like, dude, like, I was like, bro, don't. <laughs> he just like, he kept saying, I just don't get it. I said, bro, stop it. Stop saying yeah, You're that. lying. You got to move on. You just take, a, take accountability, nigga. You, you didn't pull out. Right. Yeah. Or, you, or, or, or you came out too slow. Yeah. I like my situations, boys. Yeah. Yeah. All your situations. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, huh? Oh, I left some in there. Sorry. Something's going to grow in there. Shit. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, that's you show right though. Like once you grown, you can't do nothing but take out accountability because it's gonna be obvious that yes. you fucked up. Yeah, man, it's gonna be man, what obvious. What you gonna do? <laughs> what you gonna do, man? What you gonna do, man? So. It's gonna be so obvious. That's crazy, but uh, well, yeah, man. I, I think that's I think that's a good good uh, topic for the listeners, man. I hey, I ain't lie, man. The last the last episode, cause of. It took so much out of me, man. There you go. This nigga loved that episode. I love that episode. If y'all knew, man, y'all gotta check out episode 103, man. Like, we dissect life in the way. And you was in a bag, man. I don't know what was wrong with you. But you but you was like saying some stuff. Like we could have we could have went on for hours for real, because I could have kept going. But I limit the show. But uh, yeah. but that episode was so good, man. I just feel like I, I feel like we 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 kind of go back and forth with our niche on the show, like what what we be on. Yeah. It's been a while since we talked about relationships and stuff like that. It's been a while since we talked about black empowerment, yeah, uh, or just being black, uh, or even sticking with um, just. Everything because it's still cop killing going. Don't oh, think, yeah, don't don't think we not notice it, but sometimes you know, I understand that we, we somewhat quote unquote journalists um, hey. that we have to kind of cover that. But a lot of times, that's our, our minds go. We dive so deep into it that it, it, it mentally messes with us, and sometimes we have to pull ourselves out. Mm-hmm. So we have to be real. Strategic on what we talk about because it really can mentally get to us. Yeah. Or it's, I'm sorry for speaking for you, but it really can get to me. Get it. So. Yeah, because like last episode, man, that that just does that that episode made me like giddy. Like yeah, I was like, oh my god, I want more. Give me another topic. Come on. You ready to tackle the day? Yeah, <laughs> like give me. I want to talk about life. Yeah. Well, I just feel like that's maybe that is our new niche. Like I think it changes per year, per season. Um, like what our new niche is. Uh, recently, it's been like life. It's been yeah, like yeah. life improvement, self help, life type stuff. Well, we I always think, talk think, mental health too, though. And I always think we, I think because too, that's what we are right now. Like you in school, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I started my new job, and then, you, you know, in your just, career, yeah. We just want to grow. Field. So I think it's about where we at. Because at that point, when um, the whole when we talk about black empowerment, you know what I'm saying? Um, empowerment, empowerment. Uh, you know that that was doing the whole George Floyd thing, and we COVID had, we, stuck yeah, in the house. Right, so we were stuck in the house. We had no choice. That's why. That's why with the whole Kanye thing, I was like, dude, come on. You was in the house just like the rest of us, and we watched exactly what happened. Yeah. Anyway, 
Episode 104 of Podcast Mondays. Yeah, boy. Um, I think I got a um, quote. Like like he said, we always say that we're not going to say it, but we're going to say it again. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Make sure you follow us on Podcast Mondays. <laughs> on all platforms. Podcast Mondays, that's M-O-N-D-A-Y-Z. Not an S, but a Z. Z. So, um... Uh, also, like he said, go check out 103, man. I think that was that was probably a good that was man, it was that was good. one of our best I would say that was one of our best episodes in a while. In a while. Cause I, I got so many clips, man. I had got so I, I felt like, damn, let me stop putting all these clips. They gonna see the whole damn show from just looking. Yeah. <laughs> but it was so many clips. Like I, I just like had to like Yeah. Like it was so many clips I took out of that episode that we you know what I'm saying? I put on the reels and shorts and all that good stuff. But, um, yeah, make sure y'all follow us, man. Again, um, follow me on Amp Radio. Come listen to some R&B music. Um, and uh, let's get out of here. I got a quote. Uh, I might have said this, but we got new listeners. Yeah. Um, Happiness is not by chance, but by choice. Happiness like is not by chance. It's by choice. I like that. Yes, sir. Y'all be blessed, man. Uh, happy Monday. Happy Tuesday. Happy whatever day y'all listen to it. We made it to another week. We love y'all, man. And uh, see y'all next time. Yeah. Audio